Hi there. I'm Mark Scarborough, and this is the podcast Walking with Dante, a podcast that has slow walk through the first third or so of Dante's masterwork comedy, otherwise the part we've gone through known as Inferno. We are now celebrating our completion of Inferno by reading straight through the text itself in my English translation. You can find this translation on my website, markscarborough.com or walkingwithdante.com. It all goes to exactly the same place, but... I wish you wouldn't, as I keep saying, because I want you to experience the poem as a plot, to experience the genius of creating a story, not a theological track, not a classical tract, not a set of literary illusions, not a complicated bit of literary criticism. Mm, we'll get to that in Purgatorio, but not yet, not any of that, just a story. The story just, <laughs> just the story of a man who wakes up in a dark wood, finds himself lost, gets the great Roman poet Virgil as his guide, and continues down a walk to the bottom of the earth, which he knows is a sphere. If all of that seems a little strange to you, then may I suggest you go back and check us out in past episodes. Otherwise, stick with us here. I'm going to start with a little of the medieval Florentine and then go on to Cantos 29, 30, and 31 of Inferno coming way down toward the bottom of the pit. Let's get to it. La molte gente e le diverse piaghe avian le luci mie si Inebriate che dello stare a piangere eran vaghe. Ma Virgilio mi disse che purguate perché la vista tua pur si soffolge laggiù tra l'ombra triste. The hordes of people with so many weird wounds had so besotted my own lantern-like eyes that I yearned to stick around and weep. But Virgil said to me, What are you still looking at? Why is your gaze still stuck down here on the sad, hacked-up shades? You didn't behave like this at any other pouch. Consider this. If you believe you can count these souls... This valley goes around for 22 miles. What's more, the moon is already below our feet. There's little left of the time that was granted to us, and there's a lot more to see that you haven't yet seen. If you considered, I replied right away, the reason I wanted to gawk of it, perhaps you might have let me stick around a little longer. My guide had already taken off, and I was bringing up the rear, still intent on my answer. So I added, down in that slit where I fixed my eyes just now, I believe that a spirit of my own blood cried out for the shame that costs him a lot down here. At that, my master said, don't let your thoughts founder on that shore any longer because of him. Pay attention to something else and leave him be because I too saw him at the foot of the bridge pointing at you and threatening with his finger. I heard them call him Jerry Del Bello. You were then so fully enthralled with the guy who used to hold Otfort that you didn't look over there before he took off. Oh, my God, it was because his violent death... I said, has not yet been satisfied by any who partake in the shame of it that he's become so apoplectic. That's why he went away without speaking to me, at least so I think. 
And this makes me feel even more compassion for him. So we kept on talking as far as the first spot on the ridge that could show the next valley's floor, if enough light were to get down into it. And when we were over the last cloister-like enclosure of these evil pouches and all their converts, well, they were apparent to our vision, and weird laments pierced me as if these arrows had iron tips made of pity. I immediately covered my ears with my hands. It was like all the suffering from July through September in the hospitals of Valdechiana, as well as Marema and Sardinia, were gathered in one ditch, indeed just like that. And such a stench hit us as if it came from a heap of putrefying body parts. We came down to the last embankment of that long ridge, as usual sticking to the left, and then my eyes could get a more lifelike view down toward the bottom where the ministress of the Lord on high, that is, infallible justice, punishes all the falsifiers in her bureaucratic records. I, I don't believe it could have been much sadder to see the people of vagina in the full grasp of the disease when the air was thick with so much contagion so that every animal, even the little worms, were all done in, at which point the ancient people, or so the poets held for certain, were restored to life from the seed of ants. It was just that bad in that dim valley to see all the spirits languishing about like shocks of limp grain. This one over that one's stomach. This one over that one's shoulders. Another crawling on all fours, all in an attempt to transpose themselves along that wretched path. Step by step, we went along without talking, watching and overhearing the invalids who couldn't even lift their bodies up. I saw a pair propped up against each other like a pan against a pan propped up to dry. Both of them were pocked with scabs from head to foot. I've never seen a stable boy who kept his master waiting or who wants to get off to bed work his curry comb so fast as each of these plied the teeth of his nails to himself to get rid of the rabid itch, which has no other method for relief. Their fingernails ripped off the scabs the way a knife can clean the scales off a sea bream or off other fish with even larger scales. You there! Ripping at your chainmail coat, began my master Virgil to one of them, and sometimes even making tweezers out of your fingers. Tell us if there are any Italians among those here, so that your nails may prove an eternal tool for this sort of work. We're both Italians, whom you see ruined like this, one of them replied in tears. And who are you to ask anything about us? My guide Virgil answered, I'm the one who descends with this living man from rim to rim, and I intend to show him hell. At that, they stopped propping each other up, and each one, all at quitter, turned to me, along with the other guys who'd overheard as if only an echo. My good master sidled up close against me and said, Say the main thing you want. And so I began since he wished me to, in order that the memory of you cannot be stolen from the minds of men up in the first world, but can go on living under many a sun, tell what you are and who your people are. 
Your horrid and nauseating pain shouldn't make you afraid to reveal yourselves to me. I was from Arezzo, answered one of them, and Albero of Siena made me get put to the fire, but the reason I died didn't push me down here. Sure enough, I did say to him as a joke, I know how to rise up and fly through the air. That one, he had the will, but not much smarts. And the dupe wanted me to show him the art of flight, but only because I couldn't turn him into Daedalus. He had me set on fire by one who loved him as a son. But into this last pouch of tin, for the alchemy that I practiced in the world, I was damned by Minos, who cannot make a mistake. And I said to Virgil the poet, Was there ever a people so vain as the Sienese? Not even the French compared to them by a long shot. Then the other leper, who heard me, replied to my words, Except certainly for Strika. He knew how to moderate his expenditures. And for Niccolo, who was the first to create that lavish recipe using cloves there in the garden where such seeds can germinate, and also for which Caccia d'Astiano squandered his vineyards and great wealth, and to whom Abagliato showed off his wit. But so that you will know who seconds your claims against the Sienese, let your eyes rest on me for a while and see if my face will give you the right answer. Then you'll see I'm the shade of Capocchio, who falsified metals by alchemy. You've got to remember, if you're the guy I think you are, how good an ape of nature I was. In that time of year when Juno's cruel fury at Semele was spent on the Theban bloodline, as she did over and over, Athamas became so totally insane that when he saw his wife walking around with their two children in her hands, he yelled, let's spread out the nets so that I can ensnare the lioness and her cubs at the crossroads. Then he stretched out his own unsparing claws, grabbed the one called Laercus, spun him around, and smashed him against a rock, at which his wife drowned herself with her other cargo. And as soon as fortune ran the damn the torpedoes heights of Troy into the ground, so that the king and his kingdom were broken to bits, after soaring Hecuba in agony and a prisoner watched Polyxena die and found Polydorus near the banks of the sea, she roamed about in torment, went completely mad, and barked like a dog because all that sorrow had rattled her mind. Even so, neither the crazed Thebans nor the Trojans had ever managed to seem so barbaric as to wound a beast, much less human parts. As two shades I saw who were pale and naked, they bit as they ran in the manner of pigs when the gate of the sty is left open. One of them got up to Capocchio and buried his tusks into the nape of his neck, then dragged him along so that his belly scraped against the hard floor of the ditch. And the guy from Arezzo, who was left here shivering in fear, said to me, That ghoul is Gianni Skiki. He goes about rabid to rough up others in this way. Ah, I said to him, and so the other may not sink his teeth into you. Grant me the favor of telling me who that one is before it hurries off. And he said to me, That's the old soul of the debased Mira, who became her father's lover well beyond the bounds of proper love. That one came into sin with him by falsifying herself into the shape of another, just like that one venturing off over there, who, 
to when the queen of the herd falsified himself as Buoso Donati to make a last will and testament that was perfectly legal. I had my eyes fixed on those two rabid guys until they passed on from where we were. Then I turned around to look at the other born bad people. I saw one who'd been made into the shape of a lute. If only he'd been sliced off at the crotch, right where the trunk of a guy is forked. The bloated dropsy had so distended his parts with all these badly digested humors that his face was not in proportion to his gut. He had to hold his lips open the way a feverish guy does, one who's so thirsty that he curls one lip down and the other inverted up. Oh, you guys who don't suffer any pains in this horrid world, and I don't know why, he said to us, look over here and pay attention to me, the sufferings of Master Adam. I had plenty of what I wished for when I was alive. Now, alas, I crave the tiniest dribble of water, the rivulets that flow down the green hills in the Casentino on their way to the Arno make the channels cool and damp. They are set before my vision from now to eternity, and not without purpose because their image dehydrates me all the more because of the malady that melts the flesh off my face." The firm justice that pokes at me takes its rationale from the place where I sinned to put my sighing to flight more quickly. Romana is up there where I falsified the coins that were imprinted with the image of John the Baptist. That's why I left my body burned up there. But if I could see the sad sack souls of Guido or Alessandro or of their brother... I wouldn't trade that site for the Branda Springs. One of them is down here already, if these enraged shades running about sometimes come to speak the truth. And what good does that do me if my limbs are bound up like this? If I were only free enough from taint and lightweight enough that I could move an inch in a hundred years... I would have already set out on that path to find him among these disgusting people, even though this circle is 11 miles around and spreads out not less than a half a mile across. I joined this sad family because of them. They convinced me to mint those florins so that each contained three carats of worthless crap. I said to him, Who are those two, steaming like wet hands in the winter, the ones stretched out near your right frontier? I found them here, and I don't think they've ever rolled over, he said, since the moment I rained down this sharp slope, nor do I believe they ever will for the rest of eternity. One is the woman who falsely accused Joseph. The other is the false Sinon, the Greek from Troy. Because of their acute fever, they reek like burned grease. And the guy of the pair, who was offended, perhaps at being named in such a dim way, smacked his fist against Master Adam's distended belly, which rang out like a drum. And Master Adam turned to smack that guy in the face with his arm, which seemed about as hard as the other guy's fist, and said to him, "'Even though I weigh so much that the range of motion of my limbs is almost nil,' I still have an arm supple enough for just this sort of work. Whereupon the other replied, When you were on your way to the fire, it certainly couldn't move so quickly, and it could do that and much more when you were counterfeiting. 
and the guy with dropsy said, You speak the truth, although you were sure a lousy witness when they quizzed you about the truth at Troy. If I spoke falsely, you falsified coins, Sinon said. I'm down here because of a single fault, whereas your faults are more than any demons. Liar! Keep the horse in mind, replied the one with the swollen belly. May you be tormented because the whole world knows about it. And may you be tormented by the thirst that cracks your tongue, the Greek said. And may you be plagued by the fetid water that blows up your stomach to hedge in your view. Then the money minter replied, As always, your mouth gapes open because of your disease. If I'm parched and bloated with my humors, you're burning up and have a pounding headache to lick the mirror of Narcissus. You would need an invitation with very many words. I was fully occupied in listening to them when my master said to me, Keep right on staring, and I'm just a little bit away from having a tiff with you. When I sensed he spoke to me in anger, I turned back to him with such shame that it still gyrates in my memory, like a guy who's had a dream about being hurt and, while dreaming, wishes he were only dreaming, longing for what is, even if it were not. So it went with me, unable to utter a word. I wanted to beg for his pardon, even though all along I was doing the very thing I believed I wasn't doing. A greater crime would get washed off with less shame, my master Virgil said. Yours doesn't even stand at that level, so set down that burden that's making you sad. But know full well that I'm right by your side, especially if by fortune you should get into a spot where people are having a squabble like this. The desire to overhear this sort of thing is a vulgar wish. One and the same tongue that had stung me, bringing the blush to one of my cheeks and the other— then supplied me with the cure. So I've heard that Achilles' spear, the one that came from his father, could first cause a bad wound, then the good gift of healing. We gave that suffering valley our bags by mounting up over the bank that encircles it and traversing it without a single disquisition between us. At this spot, it was less than night and less than day, so I could peer only a little way in front of us, but I heard a blaring trumpet so overpowering that it would make any peal of thunder seem feeble. My eyes were yanked to that spot along the way where the noise had stopped. Not even Roland blew such a terrible blast when Charlemagne lost his holy company after that sad rout. I turned my head in that direction only for a little bit when I saw what appeared to be many high towers. So I said, "'Tell me, master, what city is this?' And Virgil said to me, because you're still trying to make it out through the darkness from too far away, your ability to discern things isn't so great. You'll see it right when you reach the spot and understand how your sight was deceived by distance. So press on with fervor. Then he took me affectionately by the hand and said, before we advance any farther, so that you might seem a little bit less frightened, know that those are not towers. They're giants. Every one of them is sunk into the encircling pit up to their belly buttons. As when the fog dissipates so that we can make out things that have been hidden in miasma and mist, so peering through the thick and obscuring air, I got closer and closer to the edge. Error left me. Fear came to take its place. Just as around the encircling walls, Montorigioni is crowned with towers, so at the edge of the cliff that ringed the pit, 
powered up half of the bodies of those terrible giants, the ones whom Jove threatens when he thunders in the heavens. I could already pick out one gigantic face, as well as his shoulders and chest, even a big part of his gut, and his arms stretched down along his sides. For sure, nature did a good thing when she gave up the craft of making these creatures, thereby forcing Mars to give up such emissaries. Even though she hasn't repented for whales and elephants, if one takes a closer look, it's clear she's become more even-handed and even discreet, because if the acuity of mental powers were added to malicious desires and brute strength, there'd be no place for anybody to hide. This one's face looked to me as long and big as the pine cone at St. Peter's in Rome. The rest of his bones fit that scale, too. Although the embankment made a kind of fig leaf from his belt lying down, it showed us well enough of him above the rim that it would be pure vanity for three Frisians to stand on each other's shoulders just to reach his hair. In fact, I counted thirty large handspans up from the spot where a guy buckles his coat. His barbaric mouth began to shout. It wasn't a fit spot for sweeter psalms. And my guide Virgil said to him, Idiotic soul, don't quit your day job with that horn. Use it to find some kind of release when rage or another passion takes hold of you. Check out your neck, you befuddled soul. There you'll find the rope that holds your horn tight on the diagonal across your massive chest. Then Virgil said to me, he's accusing himself. This is Nimrod, whose terrible plan kept the world from using one language. Let's leave him be and not toss our words into the void. Every single language is the same to him as all the others, and nobody understands his. So we went quite a ways along our journey, having now turned to the left. About a crossbow shot farther on, we found the next one, a little more bestial, but grandiose. I don't know what sort of master craftsman did this to him, nor can I say, but he was bound with his right arm behind him and his left out in front by a chain that held him tight around his neck, then went around the exposed part of him for five circles. This prideful one, Virgil said, hoped to test out his strength against Job on high. So he's got his reward now. Ephialtes is his name. He dared grand feats when the giant struck fear into the gods. The arms he moved back then can't be moved at all now. Then I said to Virgil, if it's permissible, I'd like to see the mammoth Briarius to experience him with my own eyes. At which he said, you'll see Antaeus pretty close by. He speaks. He isn't bound. He'll set us down on the very foundations of all that's sinful. That one you wish to see, he's much farther on and is bound up and formed just like this one here, except that his face looks even more ferocious. Never has a rugged earthquake made a tower shake so hard as Aphialtis suddenly shook himself. I've never feared death more than at that moment. The fear itself could have done me in, except I could still see his chains. We walked a little farther at that point and came to Antaeus, who stood not counting his head a good five L's 
above the edge of the pit's rock wall. Oh, you who were once in the fortune-filled valley where Scipio was made an heir of glory when Hannibal and his cohorts turned tail, you who snagged a thousand lions as your prey, and you who, if you'd been with your brothers during their war on heaven, at least so, some believe, would have won the victory for the children of the earth, don't be too haughty to set us down below where Cocytus lies locked in ice. Don't make us tramp on to Titius or Typhon. This guy right here can give you what anyone really wants. So come on, bend down and don't sneer with your snout. This guy can keep you famous up in the world because he's alive and hopes to live out a long life unless grace calls him back before his time. So said my master, and that one quickly stretched out his hands and grabbed hold of my guide, about as Hercules once felt his powerful grip. Virgil, when he felt held tight, said to me, Get over here, so I can hold on to you. Then he made a single bundle out of himself and me. When you look up at the tower of Garasenda, under its leaning wall, and a little cloud chances to pass by, it looks as if it's about to fall over. So seemed Antaeus to me as I watched him bend over. At that moment, I wished I could have traveled by another road. But he set us down on the foundation that gulps down Lucifer with Judas. Nor did he stick around, bent over, but raised himself back up like the mast of a ship. Lievemente al fondo che divora Lucifero con giuta ci sposo, ne si cosinato li fece dimora, e come albero in nave si leva. We have come almost to the end of Inferno. Isn't this unbelievable? We have not only slow walked through it, we've quick walked, sort of, through it. We've come quickly down to now we have one last passage left to read, Cantos 32 through 34, and we will conclude our journey through the first third or so of Dante's masterwork comedy. I hope you'll subscribe to this podcast. I hope you'll rate it. I hope if you are just dropping in here, you'll go back and catch what's behind us. I hope you'll stick with me through the very end of Inferno. And then we're going to have a couple episodes that kind of wrap Inferno up. And we will be ready for Purgatorio. Who could possibly believe we would finally get here? I'm Mark Scarborough. I can't wait to take the next steps with you. <laughs>